Welcome to Question Block. Question Clock. Because this week we're talking about time. I'm Alex, Wires of NYC on Instagram. With me is... Aerialist. And what are you dressed as? I'm a sentient clock. <laughs> okay. TikTok. Yeah. TikTok, it's Question Block. Well, actually, I didn't do any research on clocks. That was all you. Yeah. But, but calendars are just clocks over a longer scale when you think about it you think about it i don't really like to think about that okay well why don't you tell us about the history of calendars right we're going to start with the large-scale measurement of time and then go down to minutes like to hours and minutes and seconds at the end of the episode okay so happy new year what do you mean it's march 2nd yeah it's the new year according to romulus really the first emperor of rome yep Oh, yeah. Romulus founded Rome. And March used to be the first month of the Martius, year. Martius, yeah. Oh. Who's yeah. It? Is it named after something? What does it mean? I'm going to tell you about the Roman and the Gregorian and then, like, the calendar that we use today, which is basically the Gregorian. Or I guess the Roman Julian and then yeah. Gregorian. There were lots of other calendars. There are lots of other calendars, but these are... The ones that are most relevant. We're using Greg's calendar. Us. Okay. Yes. And I guess we could do a whole nother episode on like the Mayan calendar and stuff like that. Oh, somebody already noticed on Twitch that the clock on the wall is backwards, which I commented on at the beginning mm -hmm. before we started filming. A backwards clock is right so, once a day. Uh, the, yeah. The commenter is asking if we're from the future or the past because Both. the clock on the wall is backwards. Yeah. We're Time is a flat circle. We are timeless. Is what, was, what I wanted to say. There's yeah. a there's ways that people tell that time is passing. Can you guess what like the two main ways are? I mean, I would guess the the seasons changing is how you know sort of roughly what month it is, and then the sun rising and setting is how you know what time of the day it is. Solar or lunar. Mm. Because they people would either say like okay how long does it take for like the sun to get like the most or they would watch the phases of the moon the moon goes through a lot more changes than the sun does but the sun is like kind of a better less screwy way to tell time to tell the passing of time which is i would say that's my thesis statement <laughs> is you should use the uh you should use the sun so the islamic the calendar Use it, use the sun, and they actually like they're pretty awesome in terms of like their math. Like, they were, they're like, Yeah, we've been using the sun, we've been doing the correct math, we're good. The Egyptians had a calendar that they, they needed a calendar because they needed to like predict when the Nile would flood. And a lot of other cultures that didn't have a calendar yet were like, Oh my god, the, the priests are fortune tellers. Because they know like when to move their shit so it doesn't get wet. Oh, and the and it's because the priests just had decent calendars. Yeah, or nice. the or the priests were just like hallmark. Like they were the they were like our main job is to make calendars. Yeah, I mean, somebody if you're like a busy farmer, maybe you don't have time to put like a mark on the wall to know like how many days have passed since the Nile last flooded. Right. So the Romans got really interested in the calendar. They had a bunch of different calendars their two main ones were agrarian and judicial so they you know like farmers didn't need a calendar as much because they were like yeah when it's ready to harvest like we'll just harvest it but if you wanted to be an emperor you you wanted it documented like how long your terms were and whatnot oh yeah did they did they do term limits well for emperors they did and that's why they were so into calendars because like the romans they love to make rules and they love to rule so the the first roman calendar was based on an older lunar calendar there were these three periods in the month so the first day of the month rent. was called the calends it's when rent is due yeah okay this was another reason why they like became fixated on the calendar because they had a lot of bills to pay so the first day of the month was called the Calends, and it it that was like synced up with the new moon. The nones 
which is the waxing and half moons, and then the Ides, which is the full moon. Oh. Okay. I thought the Ides was the 15th, but it's just when the full moon is waxing. Right. So, and now this is like the real crazy part. Dates were written as a countdown to each of these markers. So a day that's May 2nd was written as the sixth day before the May nones or AD 6 non my. And AD means ante. Antadm, which means the day before. And also, Romans had an inclusive way of counting. So they count, like, it wasn't like one, two, three, four, five before. They also counted the day that it was up to. Okay. So they were like a little crazy. So wait, so you'd be like, yeah, tomorrow. And I'd be like, yeah, two days from now. I mean, you could say tomorrow, but you were always referring to days in terms of these three okay. periods. Like, yeah, you wouldn't say like May 2nd or whatever. It was just like the day before the day before the 15th of the, you know. I don't want to put you on the spot because you are not a Roman citizen, but I'm well, these, the three periods are like set by the moon though, right? Yeah. But their overall calendar is based on the sun? The first Roman calendar was based on an older lunar oh, calendar. Oh, got it. I said that. Okay, sorry. You heard like, so they had their own AD, but it didn't mean... Because, like, Jesus was nothing at that time. So uh, it meant anti- the first AD was anti-DM. Yeah. Just a little fun fact. It was fact. not Anno Domini. Bring, right, exactly. Bring back the original AD. Yeah, they didn't. They were like, Jesus, we don't, we don't believe in Jesus. So the calendar, this calendar, this first one, it was 10 moons long. So it was 10 months because Romulus said that a calendar only needed to be as long as it took for a baby to develop in the womb. Oh, yeah, which is, yeah, 10 moons, roughly. 10 moons. But, uh, I love that. I'll see you in 10 moons. That's not going to be very useful because, like, the next time it's Martis or whatever, like, you, it's like a totally different season than it was okay, last year. Okay, okay, don't get ahead. Don't get ahead. Okay. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Okay. I, I want to tell you a I little bit more. The problems There's going to be a problem. Yeah. System. There's going to be a problem. Okay. I will tell you. So this, this calendar is, it's 10 moons. Okay. And, and here's the months. There's Martius, which is 31 days. And it's honor of the Mars, the god of war. Mars comes first. All right. Mm-hmm. Aprilis, which is 30 days. And it's in honor of Fortuna or Aphrodite. Oh, April's after Aphrodite. Okay. Maeus, which is 31 days in honor of Maya. Lunius, which is 30 days in honor of Juno. Quintilis, you know, good old Quintilis, 31 days, which is the fifth month. Oh, Lunius, I guess, became June. Yeah. Sextilis, 30 days, the sixth month. I like how they just ran out of gods to name months after and started, <laughs> yeah. they just started counting. September, the seventh month. October, the eighth month, November, the ninth month, and December, the tenth month. Yeah, that explains a lot about October, November, and December, which yeah. I have always wondered why. So yeah. this is this calendar is only 304 days, okay? And people don't know why the month length is as it is. There's, like, all these theories that people don't actually know. Um, people think that maybe... The spring, summer, and fall were slightly longer than three moon cycles. There's 60, there's like 60 extra winter days that were not considered part of the calendar. The calendar would start. <laughs> just like it's, it's winter. We don't track that. The calendar would the start clock. each year with the first day of spring falling a few days after the Ides of March. This margin of winter days not belonging to the calendar is how the early Romans managed not to know the precise year length. Okay. That's amazing yeah. that they, they're like, yeah, it's just like overtime. The year's, the year's done. It's overtime. We're just going to hang out for the cold months. And then we'll pick back up again uh, in, in the spring. It, like sometimes they would, they would just be like, well, wait. And then you'd be like, is it the Ides yet? And it's like, mm, hmm. not yet. So that was, that was the first calendar, right? And then... Can I ask a, yeah. another question? Did they have seven-day weeks? 
Or did they not really have a concept of a week? Because I, as we talked about uh, in our Viking episode, the weekdays are named after the Norse gods. Right. So they just referred to days in terms of those three periods. So that's kind of. Oh, man. So you had to, you probably, your work week is like half the month. I mean, I think you were just working like until the work was done. I don't. Yeah. All right. Fine. Yeah. So then there's Numa, who's like the, this other Roman emperor. And he was like, we got to do something about these 60 extra days. <laughs> yeah. Numa Pompe- Pompeius, the second king of Ro- Rome. This is like, he, he became more concerned with like, he was like, it's less about agriculture and it's more about like the rulers. So he was like, we need to assign this, the 60 monthless days to two new months. Mm-hmm. Right. So the months are pretty much the same, except at the end of the year, there's Inarius, which is Jan, which which will become January, and yeah. Feb, Feb, Febarius or Februa, which it it's the purification festival, and then in in Spanish it's January is Enero. Well, there you go. So yeah, the Latin survives the Latin roots. Cool. Okay. So, but then there's this other month called the intercalary month, mm-hmm. which is just like an extra little, he's like, yeah, there's these 60 days. I'm going to sort of split them up between these two extra months. And then when it's kind of like intercalcarious was like a, a leap year, but yeah, you, just like a leap month. The, the Chinese calendar has that too. The Chinese lunar calendar, because you have to, it's every like three to four years, you have to add an extra month in. Because it's a little bit shorter than 365 days. So this this year, this uh, Pompeius year, totaled 355 days. Yep. So that would still be out of sync with the season. So in some years, the extra days were added, which is the intercalcation. Yeah, leap month. Exactly. <laughs> so they were placed within the second half of February. Ideally, year lengths would run on a four-year cycle, 355 350 or 377 355 378 days so this is way too long the other the other calendar was too short this one's like way too long and thus began the years of confusion i feel they're getting closer though they're getting closer they're getting closer it's only been two emperors and they're like they've hit either side of the mark they're you know surely they'll get it right with the next emperor well there's there's years of confusion because the intercalcations were determined by the ruler or like by the, more by like the priests, but the like you can think of them as like the um, the assistant president. What do you call it? The the co-president? The vice president? Yeah, the vice president. The veep. The veep. The veep, but priest, right? Um, <laughs> the priest. Yeah, the, ve- the, vice, the, pre- the vice priest. The vice priest. Okay. Um, so they, like, if they were in, like, the the year of power, if uh, the power of the intercalcation was prone to abuse, the priests the priest could lengthen a year to keep an ally in office, or they could shorten it when an opponent was in power. Nice. Yeah. They're like, sorry, your term is already up. Exactly. <laughs> the calendar says, you know, tick-tock. Tick-tock. And the seasons were getting out of whack, like, because this was account, this would account for like, I think it's like 15, maybe like 15 minutes or something every year. And so, you know, over a couple of decades, that's getting to be a problem. And there are all these texts that are like, ah, yes, it was observed that it would be very cold when it was supposed to be the spring or, you know, yeah, these early like scholars throwing shade at the calendar. So then comes the Julian calendar. All right. Oh, so all the way to Caesar. Right. Julian calendars. Yes. Named after Julius Caesar. So this is uh, like 40, 48 to 46 BC in Egypt. This is hundreds of years later. Yeah. By the way. So things are. Rome is founded in like 300 BC or 400 BC, I thought. So. Yeah, we're now up to like 40 BC. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. The, the, <laughs> They've been having terrible calendars for missing appointments constantly so for centuries like, at this point. It was, yeah, the, the other calendar was like 450 BC when like January was added or when January was added as the first month. Yeah. And then we go to... Then 400 years pass yep. of... So... <laughs> crop failures and missed, missed dates. Julius Caesar was a lot of things. You know, he had a great salad. He was murdered in the Ides. Yeah, the Ides of March. Mm-hmm. But he, he also got around. Like, he traveled. He dated someone named Cleopatra. She like, was like, oh, in Egypt, we have this like really hot calendar. Maybe you should use it. Oh, he picked up. He, picked, he was influenced to ta- adopt the Egyptian. Exactly. Calendar. So we might want to call it the Cleopatrian calendar. Nice. Because she she brought him a lot of knowledge. Yeah, Caesar subdued Gaul. Exactly. As an emperor, he crossed the Rhine with his army, took over Rome. So, you know, he, he'd been around the world, and then when he returned to Rome, he's like, I need the best mathematicians. You got to get on this. We got to fix the calendar. He decided that they would combine the Roman month names, the fixed length of the Egyptian calendar, and the 365 and a, f- and a fourth days known by the Greek astronomers. So it's like a trifecta of calendar. Oh, yeah. So the astronomers, by this point, because the Greeks were pretty good astronomers, they're like, look, we know exactly how long it takes for the sun to get back to the same position, like over the equinox. Like that's what a year would look like to them, right? Exactly, yeah. So... Okay, cool. So Caesar's like, we're we're gonna actually we're gonna stop letting the religious authorities control time, and use some science on this. Right. So ten days were added to the year. Uh, two days were added to January, Januarius, Sextilis, and December. Uh, one day was added to April, June, September, and November. No extra days were added to February. So they just just keep taking. Yeah, February's like oh. Okay. Oh, you had to give another one to April. Okay. Whatever. Whatever. And then yeah. he he renamed uh, the seventh month, right? Quintilis was renamed to Julius in 44 BC to honor Julius because it was the month of his birth. Later in 8 BC, Sextilis was renamed to Augustus, August, to honor Caesar Augustus because most some of the most significant events in his rise to power happened in that month so that was so august was so basically july and august are both julius caesar's months one of them was he did and the other one was posthumous well no caesar augustus was his uh grandson i think who took over as emperor like it skipped a little bit after julius like after caesar was murdered i forget who took power i mean i think what and then Mark Antony fled and there was a whole rebellion and like the different triumvirate came to power and then Julius Caesar's grandson became the um, the next emperor like 20 30 years later yes so so th- this is the last time that like renaming months happened because a bunch of roman emperors tried there was yeah, I can't believe Nero didn't take because there were still like several months that were just number oh, months. Oh, he tried. He tried. There was also another. He was like, give me November. Nobody's come on. It's just called 11th month. Let's use it for something. There was another emperor who tried to name every month after something that related to him. Ooh. And he just had a horrible like fall. So I think he succeeded for like a moment. But it would be like if you were like, OK, so this is month. Uh, Alex, Alex us, and then Newhausenus, and then, you know, and then it was qualities, so like redheadius. <laughs> in, in Infinite Jest, which is set in the near, very commercial American future, uh, they have sponsored year names. So the author will refer to, they're like, oh, yes, back in the uh, year of the Depends Adult Undergarment, like this happened. And they're like, oh, yeah, back in the, the year of, like, Goodyear tires, like, this other thing happened. And so they, like, stop, stop using numbers, and they let corporations sponsor the year. Well, I mean, that kind of happens. Yes, the year of cornflower blue. When you said that, the year of cornflower, the, uh, Japan has, they just have really cute names for, like, 
these periods in their calendar, like, you know, the, their equinoxes and stuff. And it's like, if you look it up, it's like, it's like a day when the cicadas turn to bonfire. Like, it's very, it's very, very like, Anias Nin. Yeah. It's very cute. Okay, so the Gregorian calendar is invented by the student named Greg. Gregorian monks, right? It's an order of... Pope Gregory. <laughs> oh, it's Pope Gregory. Yeah. I got it. Pope Gregory, the real underdog. And he was like, it's about damn time. Wait, but what's wrong with the Julian calendar at this point? Okay. It seems like it's doing pretty well. Going good. It was like, un- it, like things were going good for about like, like 1,600 years. They were going pretty good. Over the centuries, though, the Julian system had a couple of leap days. Every fourth year got an extra day, and that threw the calendar off. So by the 16th century, people, people noticed that the first day of spring had drifted 10 days ahead of the intended 20th of March. So history had used a leap year day 10 more times than was useful. Yeah, because the, right, I think the way we do leap days now is like every 200 years you don't have a leap day. Yeah, but, yeah. It's like every four years you do, except then you sometimes don't. I'll tell you the yeah. It's it. I'll tell you the formula for that at the end. Like that's what that's what Gregory or his um, mathematician person figured oh, out. I was like, this Pope figured that out. That'd be that's a good uh, pope. this. Uh, so Pope Gregory the Eighth had a scholar named Alasius Lilius. And he was like, yo, you need to fix this. You know why, though? Because he was, like, upset about Easter. Yeah, because Easter was happening in, like, February. And they were like, it's too it's too soon. Because Easter had to relate to Passover, and it was getting farther away from Passover. And he was like, plausible deniability, no! Oh, okay. It was exposed. He was like, I'm exposed. Someone help me. So, um... So Lilius had a new system that would keep the calendar in sync with the seasons and keep Easter as close to the spring equinox as possible. I love that. Like Lilius is like a drug dealer and he's like, all right, here's what I can do for you. He's like, this is this is going to be a, a pretty good trip. Like <laughs> who was the do you remember who was the uh, astronomer who was called in to like help fix it? Who didn't? No. I thought, yeah, I'm trying to recall. I'm a can-do. I'm a can-do kind of person, not a can-do. Our, our astronomers episode. It wasn't Brahe. It was somebody else. Oh, I mean, there were lots of astronomers that, like, tried to fix things, but they were murdered and condemned and, like, <laughs> sent away because in trying to fix a religious thing, they also were exposing that the oh, the, the world... That's what it is. Yeah, they would try to fix it, but accidentally, like, come up with the heliocentric exactly. model of, of and, the solar and system like, and get murdered. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They're like, I can't fix your calendar if we, we fundamentally disagree on reality. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to kill me for it. So, yeah, uh, Tuco oh. Brahe... He came. He came really close because he didn't expose. He put he all the other himself. planets orbiting the Earth. Yes. No, he put the Sun orbiting the Earth, but then all of the other planets orbiting the Sun. Exactly. To get rid of epicycles to have a decent calendar. But he knew. He yeah. He, he knew. knew. It was up. He knew. But he was like, we don't have to do this. <laughs> it doesn't have to be like this. But Lilius worked for Pope Gregory and had like this one. Ta- he was like, you got to fix this Easter. This Easter shit. We need it to be fixed. So here's the the system, okay? In the Gregorian calendar, every fourth year was a leap year. However, century years that were divisible by 400 were exempt. So, for example, the years 2000 and 1600 were leap years, but not 1900, 1800, or 1700. Got it. Okay. Yes. To get the new calendar aligned, this is like the gag of it all, the gag of the century, of the 16th century. Aren't they still slightly, like, misaligned, though? I... That's what I'm getting at. This is the real, this is the real wild thing. Okay. You ready to get wild in the 16th century? Yeah, stop prefacing him. Just tell me this calendar fact. You're right. They are off. So he was like, okay, we have the solution, but we have we're still 10 days off. Like I said, we did we use the leap year 10 10 more times than we ever had to. So they had to get rid of 10 days. They had to they had to murder those 10 days. So Thursday, October 4th. 1582 was followed by Friday, October 15th. What? 1582. Wild. Cool. So crazy. 
That'd be great. Yeah, if you like don't want to make plans with somebody and they're like, hey, like we should hang out soon. And you're like, let's get together like October 9th. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And then you're just like, oh, yeah, I forgot that we don't have those days. Or you like pay some. You're like, yeah, I'll pay you back. Like, I'll pay you back on the. Well, that would be different because you're, yeah, the landlord's like, hey, it's already the 15th. And you're like, what? Oh, true, true, true. <laughs> no. You're like, oh, no. Oh, yeah, your credit card bill would have, like. Right? Yeah, they're like, sorry, you're over, you're overdue. Well, here's the thing. Not everyone wanted to like change over. So because this is like by the, the Catholic Church, so like Protestants didn't want to. The Pope only had the authority to reform the calendar of Spain, Portugal, and the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth mm -hmm. and most of Italy. Some nations wouldn't switch over for hundreds of years. The British Empire, including the American colonies, didn't adopt the change until 1752. Yeah. In the, that series of novels I read that takes place during the Enlightenment in the late 1600s, the French and the English have different calendars. And so they like, it shows up, they'll be writing letters like one person to another and they'll be like, you'll get this on your day of like June 25th. But yes. I'm actually sending it, you know, on this day. Um, so Japan adopted it in 1872, Korea in 1895 and China in 1912. I think the latest one was like Iran because, or like they basically would get their like, civil servants to work an extra because their calendar was like shorter so they were like yo we can squeeze an extra couple of days out of these people and still pay them the same uh so here's like a, a funny thing about george washington's birthday let's see george oh yeah it was, sorry it was saudi arabia adopted it in 2016 they were on the islamic lunar calendar and they moved to the gregorian calendar as a cost-saving measure because there's 11 more days and that meant the civil servants got the same annual salary Oh, but they had to work an extra 11 yeah. days. So, and Sweden, they were going to do it really slow. They were like going to change over 40 years by just not having 11 leap years. But it actually like got them into worse. It it like put that like messed them up even more. So they had to like they've had the only February 30th in history because they, <laughs> they, to, they miscalculated, I guess, and it didn't work. So why are the the like Eastern like Orthodox holidays are still on those because they didn't Julian days right yeah because they never switched their countries did like but the but their holiday calendar didn't yeah oh yeah they just kept the holiday calendar mm -hmm. so like the yeah Eastern Orthodox countries like Russia they celebrate Christmas on like January sixth right because they're like fuck you Pope Gregory the eighth. Oh, so George. Yes, so like, yeah, this, eighth, this Pope literally from, like the eighth, yeah. from a thousand years ago, we refused to recognize his him. authority. Yeah. So the, the last thing about this, so George Washington was born on February 11th, 1731 in the English calendar, which started the year on March 25th. So their year started in the middle of the month, which was corrected when they changed calendars. So Washington's birthday is now recognized as February twenty second, February twenty second, seventeen thirty two. So like this just brings this is one example of like if a historians trying to get dates like correctly. Yeah, if we're gonna get a day off to celebrate his birthday, we'd better know the correct birthday to celebrate. Exactly. Well, it's like do historians account for all the calendar changes? Which the answer is yes. Like historians just assume that everyone is on has been on. Well, yeah, because we read these dates about, like, Julius Caesar's campaign or whatever, and they're not told to us in terms of, like, the Ides or, like, whatever the the moon was doing during that particular weird Roman month. Instead, it's just, like, we think it was early May that, like, this campaign happened. <laughs> Julius Caesar was assassinated two moons before the bunnies and right. <laughs> one moon after the lion. <laughs> Do you know the calendar is still off? In what sense? It's it's off by 26 seconds. Like so those 26 seconds it's only going to be about one day off every 4000 years. Oh, even with the leap years. They yes. don't quite make it work. So the astronomer John Herschel, who's the son of William Herschel, who just you know, he discovered Uranus, but he was like if the year is divisible by 4,000, then we will make it like not 
a leap year. And that should correct that problem. Nice. So, so they, get, they get even closer. Yeah. But calendars are just a concept. They're just a thought. So it kind of doesn't matter that it's off because like whatever. They're all methods for humans to describe reality in the sense of the passing of time. Everything you're talking about with calendars basically is that humans figured out, early humans, and we still do it today, one of the, the best ways to consistently mark the passage of time is the movement of astronomical bodies, right? So like the Earth rotating is a day and the sun returning to its same position in the sky is like a year. Yeah. Although there are even debates about how to mark that. Just in to, daylight, in seconds, in cups of coffee, in friendship. Just to add one <laughs> little technical addition to even your, your point about adjusting. Because of the precession of the earth, that the earth wobbles a little bit like mm -hmm. a top over thousands of years. I'm like, no, no, I'm getting like skeeved out. There are two different ways to interpret the sun returning to its position as the earth orbits around the sun. So you either can look at, from the Earth's point of view, the sun being at the exact same point in the sky one year later, or it can be the sun relative to all of the background stars behind it at the same position. And so relative to the background stars is called the sidereal year, and relative to its point observed from the Earth is called the tropical year, which is a cool name, the tropical year. And it turns out all the international astronomical bodies decided the tropical year is more realistic or it's more accurate, whereas the sidereal year gets thrown off by the Earth's precession. And so there's a 20-minute difference between the two. Oh, my God. And Australia is just like, don't even get me started. <laughs> they're upside down, so they're probably <laughs> Their toilets backwards. are backwards. All of the stuff we're talking about, which is judging time by the movement of astronomical bodies, it's called ephemeris time. An ephemeral rift. Yeah, so ephemeral is like, I guess has to do with the positioning of things or like, and so ephemeris means like having to do with astronomical bodies being relative to each other. So this is all ephemeris time that we're talking about. Wow. And that's pretty much throughout history until quite recently how humans told time and broke it down. But I'm going to get into smaller units of time. Are you ready for that? Or do you have more Yeah, calendar? I'm a smaller unit of time. You are. <laughs> I'm a clock. What is it? My o'clock? I'm a clock? It's me o'clock. It's me o'clock. Me o'clock. To put this in larger context, everything you were talking about with calendars and you're saying, there's like a, often like a technological or scientific reason. And so in these early societies, it was crops. Later on, it became all about navigation, needing to have accurate clocks because that lets you determine longitude. And then after that, it was advances in like telling time were related pretty much to science and war. So I'm going to give you the history of timekeeping devices, which you talked about a bit. You talked about the Egyptians who were invented the earliest, I guess, ways of keeping time. So they had the sundial, and which was later adopted by the Romans and the Chinese and pretty much every early civilization. And the Egyptians also had water clocks. And so if you want to keep a shorter period of time, a, a good way to do it is if you take a big jar and fill it with water and put a small hole in it and time how long it how long it takes that jar to empty is a consistent thing. So you could just be like, yeah, it's a uh, fill that jar up twice and let it drain out. And that's like when, you know, the workday is over. It's like a, uh, a sand thing. It's a lot like an hourglass. Yeah. Why can't I know the, the words thing. for things today? So water clocks are an hourglass is exact same concept it's some fluid in that case sand uh moving through you know some vessel and a nice thing with the water clock too is that you can mark like different lines as you either like you can pour into a bowl that fills up or as the bowl drains out you can have lines along the side so you can actually you know and so like as you fill the bowl you can mark it out and you can be like oh i can mark out tenths of like a bowl i can mark out even like hundredths of a bowl if i want very accurate timing as this bowl drains. A problem with water is that it's subject to, if you shake it uh, or it spills, you like lose your timepiece. Uh, also, you could get thirsty. And it's sub you could get thirsty. And it's subject to weather. Like temperature is going to affect it. Cause... Like, I drank my clock. I'm sorry. Yeah, and even the viscosity and pour rate of water changes if it's hot versus cold. Whereas sand is much more regular, which is why sand gets used in hourglasses. And it's more evil. It looks cooler, right? 
Um, yeah, so then the... Oh, wait, the first thing was like Sumerians were just counting on their fingers, right? They would just, they were like, you can divide your fingers into 60. Well, that's counting, yes. But uh, you're, I guess you're talking about the concept of dividing the day up into... 12. Multiples of 12, yeah. right? Into 24 hours or 60 minutes an hour. And it's really funny. That's let me find the technical term because I like it's a funny term. It's called uh, finger finger counting, finger clock. Sexagesimal is dividing something into parts of sixty. Apparently, that's been recorded since three thousand BC, like long before they had the concept of a second. They were using sexagesimal <laughs> divisions of time because today, as we know, a second is. Right, one, you know, one over 60 times 60 mm. times 24 of a day, which I exactly. think is 86,400. So, yeah, that dividing up uh, time into parts of 12 or parts of 60 is like, it kind of has shown up throughout history here or there. Gone in 60 seconds. I didn't get minutes. A, a good, like, yeah, reading or history of exactly why that became the standard for how to keep track of time. It might be... Yeah, and different, I don't know, sociologists or historians are like, because it's easy to mark up a clock that way because you get quarters. Like, you can see quarters pretty easily, I guess, Why, like why there would be 60. It's easy to divide a circle. That's why there's 360 degrees in a circle, for example. So, like, 60 works very well for dividing up circles. And the finger seems. chunks. And you read about the, the finger, finger chunks. finger sections. If you tuck in your thumb, you have 12 sections. Okay, so a couple more, couple more ancient timekeeping technologies. Uh, the the medieval Islamic water clocks were the the actual best way to keep time for about a thousand years, maybe even longer. So until really like fourteen hundred A.D., if you wanted a really good timepiece, you had to go to like, yeah, Saudi Arabia or Mecca and get some guy to make you a cool water clock. And they came up with, like, they'd work in a fountain mechanism to keep the, the bowl filling, like that sort of thing. Yes? Is no, this, like, the torture device in um, uh, The Princess Bride? I feel like that was a water clock, but they just, they sucked the years of life out of him. But remember, they were, like, dumping the buckets of water into the, the torture thing? They are running it by dumping water into it for some reason. Although... The term water clock today is used for any clock that's driven by water, like a paddle wheel or something, but that's not what it was originally. Originally, it was Ooh. a thing that the mechanism of keeping time was the water. Oh, I see. Okay. Anyway, we've got more interesting clocks to talk about. In India, there is the use of incense clocks. What? Which makes sense, right? If you burn a piece of incense. That's so It's cool. like in Taxi Driver when uh, Mia Farrow like, has the cigarette. She's like, your time is this long until the cigarette runs out. That's an incense clock. Yeah. Or have you ever seen, there are, my old roommate Lex had one. It was a, a candle that had like a big winding. It was I had around. one of those. I had one of those. Yeah. Yeah. So when as long as kid. that burns at a steady rate, it works as a clock. Also, I've seen DJs use it. That's how they know how long no, their DJ set. Yeah. I, not, I did not the Bernie, know that. The Burning Man DJs, they love, they love an incense. Oh, that's cute. DJ. That's why they always burn incense when they think you know. Nice. Oh, so the hourglass, which you mentioned, was invented by the Europeans. By evil queens. But in part it was because uh, it, was, it was the most accurate way to keep time at sea. Because if you're on a boat, it's very hard to keep, a, I guess, a water clock maintained and from sloshing around. And Whereas, from people drinking it. I guess in the hourglass, you could just bolt down to the deck. Okay, so then like that was clock technology until the 1400s. Oh and then God. really it's medieval Europe. Uh, and from here on out, I think it's very cool. Every advance in clocks is because of some human need. It's always like a technological solution to a problem. Like, so some clever person figures out how to solve it. Forte med medieval, were they like, this man has the plague. He has <laughs> this much time to live. That is not what it was. But your clothes, what else was very big and important in medieval Europe? Jesus? The church, right? Oh, the bells when it was time to go to church. Yeah, specifically, the they invented in medieval Europe in like the 1400s bells. an alarm to alert the hunchback in the monastery to ring the bells. Oh my God. And so that 
It was driven by a, a weight-driven mechanical clock. Uh, and the, the mechanism to drive is called a verge and foilat. And it's basically like a, a leaf spring, a big wound-up oh, yeah, spring yeah. Uh, connected to like a gear that, that ticks. Uh, it's very, yeah, it's very neat. You see it and you're like, oh, very elegant. I think like therapists sometimes have those on their desk, like a mini version in like a bell jar. So all, almost none of those original mechanisms survived because about 100 years later, they were surpassed by the pendulum clock. Mm-hmm. And when the pendulum clock came out. It hypnotized people. It was like the iPhone, basically. People were like, everybody and the pendulum, could you could like put the mechanism and swap out your old virgin foilette and so everybody yeah everybody upgraded their clocks and like to a pendulum clock so almost none of the original mechanisms exist it's like trying to get a hold of a vcr like to or a betamax right like some technology that quickly became obsolete what is the most famous historical mechanical clock uh we don't care about this big ben no it was this guy named henry de vick invented it in the 1300s and for the next 300 years everything was basically an improvement of that the pendulum clock comes out in the 1600s and it completely within like a few decades completely replaces the old uh mechanical weight driven one. Do the clocks have like they have an hour hand or an hour are they like all about the hour or they do minutes? So the pendulum clock became as they kept advancing on it it became so accurate that they actually could get seconds on them. Whoa. So that pendulums are just way more accurate than the previous like clock technology and this is where a bunch of famous astronomers come into the picture because guess what was the next thing that you really needed to keep accurate time for your birthday it's kind of a giveaway for astronomical observations oh okay yeah you want to know exactly when certain things are happening so now i'm going to tell you about how a bunch of famous astronomers you mean holidays that have to clocks. do with jesus mm-hmm. or that whatever would keep them from getting burned at the stake so yeah, the oldest known drawing of a pendulum was drawn in the late 1400s. Who would have drawn the first drawing of a pendulum? What, like, creative engineer, artist? Wait, what time is this again? Late 1400s, Renaissance. Oh, Da Vinci? Yep, Da Vinci drew the first pendulum. Ding, ding, ding. In the late 1500s, who kind of investigated the science and figured out the physics of the pendulum? Late 1500s. This person was dropping things inside the t- leaning tower of Pisa and needed to figure out how long they took to fall. Newton? No. Come Benjamin on. Franklin? Galileo? Galileo. Yeah. Yeah, I late 1500s. I knew, that. I, was, I knew it. I knew it. So Galileo figured out the reason pendulums are so accurate is the frequency of a pendulum swing depends only on the length of the pendulum. It doesn't, the, the weight and material makeup, whether it's a string or a piece of wood or whatever, like doesn't matter for the frequency of the pendulum. It's just the length. So now we've got, the pendulum is now understood in the late 1400s. So a Dutch polymath, who's also an astronomer, invented the first pendulum clock in the mid 1600s. The mid 1600s. Yeah. So you remember this guy was a contemporary, I think. Uh, no, he was, he studied under Kepler. Yeah. Christian Louboutin. I forget his last name. Huygens. Huygens, yeah. <laughs> yes, correct. Christian Huygens uh, in 1656 invents the pendulum clock. And it was so much more accurate than the every existing clock that was out there that it quickly replaced all of them. And the mechanism was like such that you could just swap it in for your old like spring-wound clock. I love that. I so love the upgrades. Very quickly. And... So Huygens, while he invented the pendulum clock, Tycho Brahe shows up as a footnote here. In 1581, Tycho Brahe had clocks in his observatory, and he drew seconds on them, even though the clock couldn't actually accurately keep the seconds. Just he, that's what he did, though. Aspirational that's thing. That's what he did. That's what he did with his diagram, too. So he has a he famous. He, I guess in like some of his surviving papers, in one like a journal entry or diary entry from 1587. He complains that his clocks in, throughout his laboratory has multiple clocks, and they disagree by plus or minus four seconds. And so he like can't trust them for his observations of comets, basically. Um, okay, so we talked about Huygens has invented the pendulum clock now. That's 1656. It w- his, his clock was accurate enough it could accurately keep time in seconds. And then within 80 years, by the 1730s, 
John Harrison uh, developed these clocks for ships, and his clocks were so accurate they could keep time to one second within a hundred days. Can they have a clock room on the ship? Right? Am I making that up? That is correct. Okay, they I would have a clock they had a room. Clock room. <laughs> so clocks are. It is crucially important to know the exact time of day to determine your longitude. There's a way you can do. Latitude is pretty easy to tell by positions of the stars and like how the sun's traversal, how far north or south you are. But knowing where you are, because the sun's going to go overhead either way, depends on like several other, I don't know exactly the formula, like very complicated observations that have to be done precisely at noon. Johnny, go to the clock room. <laughs> so Triangulate. Is, so is ship doing, uh, say a Pacific Ocean voyage, which was like an incredibly dangerous thing to do because there's nowhere to stop for four months. Like you really needed to know your longitude and how close you were to like the, you know, the coast of the Americas. Or if you're trying to navigate the Mediterranean, say, and there may be like pirates, if you drift too close to certain ports. Oh, like, there are ports, pirates. And there are, there Definitely are, yeah. pirates. Uh, it's very important to know your positioning. And so... What led to this creation, actually, of these, like, incredibly accurate clocks by the 1730s is in the early 1700s, there was a major British shipwreck. So four, like, British, like, warships all, like, collided with each other and, like, hit a reef, I guess, and, like, all sank. It's, like, one of the worst ever British maritime disasters because they didn't know where they were. And that inspired the British Parliament to sponsor a contest for whoever could, deter like, develop a method to accurately determine longitude while in a ship would win like a million pounds. <laughs> yeah. And Isaac Newton famously was one of the like judges and sponsors of that contest. And he, I guess, aside insight into Isaac Newton, was very skeptical of the time method because he was like, we'll never develop a clock accurate enough to determine what, what time <laughs> it is over like a hundred days. That's accurate within like a few seconds, never. And within like 20 years, some, they had figured it out. I love his confidence. Yeah, I mean, he was doing alchemy and drinking mercury, so. He was a clock, basically, right? He was right? a clock, I suppose so. He was just more of a theorist, and I think he didn't put enough. Yeah, so surely you think it can't get any better if by the 1730s we can keep time accurate to one second within 100 days. But sure enough, humans kept developing even better clocks. 18, by 1832, we still have, like, the clocks have advanced even more, so you, they're accurate to within a second <laughs> over a year. In 1832, Gauss, famous mathematician, physicist Gauss, uh, who developed Gauss's law and a lot of other stuff you learned mm. as an electrical engineer, arguably one of the three like most brilliant people to ever live. Uh, Gauss proposed that the second be one of the base units of time, and he's the guy who kind of unified the metric system. Oh, my God. So there are these fundamental relations between a meter and every, like, unit of measurement, I guess, a meter and a second and a gram. And Sounds like a drug dealer all, to me. You can all relate them, right? Like, so if you heat, like, a cubic centimeter of water with one joule of energy, it increases by, in temperature by one degree Celsius. These units are all related to each other. Perhaps you were feeling the time had stopped while I went off on that digression. So let's jump ahead a little okay. bit in time. Uh to World War One, so by this time, uh, even in like the early 1700s, people started uh, mostly scientists and nerds were carrying around pocket watches, mm. like people mm. who wear Google glasses today, or my grandfather. Uh, but it was a fashion statement. But but people would carry around pocket watches. But it wasn't like particularly fashionable. It was just useful to do so. <clears throat> and the clocks had leaf springs inside like this one does, and you have to hand wind it. So every morning you wind it, and what you're doing is coiling up a spring that's going to power the clock for the rest of the day. The technology they had. <clears throat> Indeed. Um, we jumped over him, but Hook was one of the most famous clockmakers. Oh, my God, the Captain guy who, Hook? Hook, who did not invent, but like perfect, well, not invent, but he advanced the microscope. Uh, British scientist, late 1600s. Is that where Captain Hook comes from? Because didn't because he like no Hook had an E at the end of his name. Oh, because he also likes didn't he swallow a clock or something? Maybe that maybe Captain Hook is or the, no 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 the alligator that's like chasing him has swallowed a clock and that's how he knows that it's the alligator because yeah. the alligator's like tick tocking. Don't think it was based on the British engineer. 
But you never know. You never know. Maybe Disney had like a vendetta. He was like, God damn it. So I was going to tell you, up to this time, watches seen, yeah, a dandy like Captain Hook would have a pocket watch perhaps. Uh, But not particularly practical because they could get broken easily. You did have to wind it all the time. And there were large public clocks because watches and clocks were expensive. So everybody got to tell time. It was like having a water fountain, right? That like you could see like what time it was pretty accurately having something like Big Ben. Not too many people had wristwatches. Wearing a, a clock as jewelry would be very weird or was like kind of a thing that women would do. Or if you had a wristwatch, it generally was just a pocket watch, maybe on like a, a strap of cloth or like something you'd wear like in your vest pocket. You'd pull out your pocket watch. World War I changed all that. World War I led to the introduction of the wristwatch and made wristwatches cool. Swatch. <laughs> yeah, like the swatch. Uh, yeah, so. Why? The reason why. So like a bunch of soldiers, uh, as they joined up in World War I, it was popular just because you were a soldier and had to be punctual to wear a wristwatch. A major thing that changed it, though, is World War I was the, when, when like, they had really well-placed uh, artillery fire. And it was the creeping artillery barrage. So the way you would fight in World War I, with, this is like trench warfare, right? Mm-hmm. And so what you'd do is get your artillery behind you to just start like landing shells on this strip of ground in front of you. And then your infantry would come out and the artillery would shoot further and further away, basically blowing away everything in your path and forcing all the enemies to stay in their trench while your infantry moved forward. Okay, but why clock? So if you get your timing wrong, your artillery will drop shells on you and, like, kill you. Oh, okay. So you need to know very precisely. You're like, okay, at exactly, like, 12, 15 to the second, you guys are going to shoot in this position. And then we've got, like, you know, 30 seconds to, like, move 100 feet. And then you'll shoot, like, further forward. And if you're off by even a couple seconds, you might get blown up. Ooh. Time is of the essence. Time is of the essence when you're behind a creeping artillery barrage. Yeah, around that time, then the watches got a lot better because you're like out there in the field and the military starts investing in better watches. So that's also when glow in the dark, like. Ooh, people started getting cancer. (laughs) I think they were using phosphorus for them, not radium, but I don't know. I think they were using radium. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Okay. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so they, they invented luminous dials. Uh, and then they became they, also the other thing is pilots all all had wristwatches too because I think also for similar reasons it's like very precision timing is important when you're on a bombing run with other planes uh, or if like you have to show up to do air support for some ground attack and you need to coordinate but you don't yet have like radio you're like you better be there like at the time you say you're gonna be there oh yeah they didn't have cell phones so you needed a clock yeah. And when once pilots had it, it became like very cool to have a wristwatch. So post World War One, every it like watches became a fashion statement for men. Wow, that's so cool. Do you know? Okay, do you know what the first? I I don't. So do you know what the first like company was? It like Rolex? Was it? We can look it up real quick if you want to. I don't think it was either of those. I I think it was like companies that were like military outfitters, and they made like the standard issue like Royal Air Force watches. Oh, probably. Yeah, it was probably like a Swiss or something. Yeah, it might have been. Nice neutral, you know. Isn't isn't Swatch? Are they Swiss? The probably. Swiss company? But yes, probably Swiss watch um, at that time. If you disagree, then send uh, us a, a watch. The biggest new advance after that in clocks in the human understanding of what a second is. Um, so watches then even were, were pretty accurate, but they're still hand-wound things and they get off by maybe a second or two per year. So how do you improve on that? And it's the quartz crystal watch. Uh, quartz is, which is crystalline silicon dioxide or crystalline glass. It's just glass with a regular molecular structure or atomic structure. So um, also, and it's a crystal because of that regular atomic structure. It exhibits a very cool property, uh, which is called the piezoelectric effect. And the first demonstration of it was uh, by, can you guess who? When was You this? were just talking about radium. Oh, uh, was this Marie? 
Marie Curie. It wasn't Marie. It was her husband, Pierre Curie, and his brother, Jacques Curie, uh, demonstrated the piezoelectric effect in 1880. Uh, and it's in part, it's because of, though, much like Marie Curie, they understood the underlying crystalline structure, and so they were able to theoretically like guess that this should work on quartz. And they tested a bunch of crystals and demonstrated it. Uh, and they, yeah, later won, uh, yeah, P Pierre and Marie won a Nobel Prize. But at the time, it was sort of a lab here. Well, it played a, a crucial role then in, in uh, discovering radium. But then it was sort of a lab curiosity until they, in World War I, they realized they could use it for sonar. As a quick aside, the way it works is the, it, you take a crystal of quartz, and if you just apply an electrical current to it, uh, it will it will flex. My quartz be flexing. It does. It it does that like a muscle kind of actually, right? Like if you apply an electric current to it, it will flex. Uh, but quartz, what it, it likes to do is it will uh, if you apply, um, it has like basically a resonant frequency that it really likes to flex at over time. Like it, it'll vibrate. So you can use the quartz. You put it into a circuit, an oscillator. And the quartz, it very quickly wants to be at only a single frequency of resonance. And it will basically reject all other frequencies in that circuit. So it works super accurately to tune a circuit to oscillate at a very specific frequency. That I did it's find cute. out something about the world's oldest watches. Do you want to know? Uh, yeah, who made We them? were kind of correct, actually, because the oldest watch brand in the world, because this is in all caps, is blank... Blanc Payne, founded by Jean Jacques Blanc Payne in 1735. And then they went out of business, but they were bought by Swatch. So we were right. Swatch was actually the oldest. And then there's Favre Luba. There's like a whole bunch of them before we before there's any of them that are recognizable. In fact, Rolex is the tenth oldest. Okay, of watch companies. Yeah, but I think they're oh, like they're the 1905. only. That's they're the only that ones old. that still exist. There's yeah. yeah. So there were Rolexes. There were Rolexes in World War One then. Yeah, man. There's like all these different all so these different someone, watches. As I'm sure people out there have guessed, the funny thing about a classic Rolex or any hand wound mechanical watch when they're like mechanical timing or precision, that watch is worse at keeping time than a five dollar little Seiko quartz crystal watch. So yeah. quartz, quartz crystal watches will keep time to like microsecond, like millionths of a second. They're incredibly accurate. And apparently the people at Rolex don't even know how to wind a Rolex, according to one of our sources who has one. He said they like messed his watch up even more. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe just at the Portland Rolex store. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were doing and sabotaging the 1%. They're yeah. blowing weed smoke into the into the mechanism. Sorry, so some taking a short time out just to tell you the piezoelectric effect and the fact that a quartz crystal will vibrate at a resonant frequency is used in a bunch of very cool technologies, which I did not know about. So real quick, you can use it because it vibrates at an ultrasonic frequency. You can use it to create a sonar sound, right? That's how you do a ultrasonic ping to then listen to for sonar. Dolphins. So it was used in World War One to find submarines. The crystal itself, if instead you flex the crystal and put pressure on it, it will generate a voltage. It'll generate a little electric current of like thousands of volts. So it's used to create like a sparking lighter. Just let me tell you real quick. That little lighter <laughs> that you bought me, the little sparking oh, one, yeah. that has a quartz crystal in it. That's how it works. That's, That's very cool. cool. Uh, cars that have like distance measurement, self-driving, the way they they use an ultrasonic, basically, echolocation to do that uses a quartz crystal. <laughs> Sometimes I just do this podcast because I want to talk about something. Yeah, oh, okay. Really... All right. Get it off your chest. I'm into it. Okay. I'm just. I'm glad you understand all the amazing uses I've, of quartz I've been, crystals. I love quartz. You don't have to convince me. I got, I got a bunch of them at home. Okay. You would think finally we're done with quartz, right? But no. <laughs> The actual time standard <laughs> now, this is the last clock. This is the latest in clock technology. <laughs> so many clocks. <laughs> developed in the 70s. Have you heard of like the atomic clock or atomic clocks? No. So the 
instead of the specific vibration, right? If a quartz crystal loves to vibrate at some very specific frequency, and you could say that like, oh, a second is when this quartz crystal vibrates 1,700,000, whatever, like times, mm -hmm. that's one mm -hmm. second. Mm -hmm. Now it's based on the, the like decay cycle of an excited electron in a cesium atom happens with a very specific like frequency. It's one of the most fundamental physical constants in the universe. Cesium? It's a cesium atom. Cesium is very heavy Excesium? element. <laughs> yeah. It's the cesium atoms are how Where we currently it, determine Who? our seconds. What's a cesium? It's on the periodic table. Look what at it. What does it look like, though, when, when there's a lot of them together? Is it a crystal? What is it? It's a metal. Okay. What color is it? I've never... I ain't seas. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen a cesium. It's, it's metal and metallic colored, I think. Okay. And it's probably, like, pretty heavy. I think it's down there with lead. Okay, okay, okay. I just wanted a visual for myself. Maybe yeah. I need to get that. I need. I go to the crystal store. I'm like, yo, you got cesium. So the definition of a second is no longer a quartz. One sixtieth no of a sixtieth of a twenty fourth of a day. It is instead this very precise number of like nine billion one hundred ninety two million six hundred thirty one thousand seven hundred seventy periods of the radiation corresponding to the transition between the two hyperfine levels of the ground state of the cesium-133 atom at temperature zero Kelvin at mean sea level. That is what a second is. That's wild. So it's not, you're <laughs> like, is, are you talking a quartz second or a cesium, cesium second or just a pendulum second, right? That's like, yes. like, you know, like an MTA 10. Yeah. So the cesium second is now used to tune and set every other clock. Wow. So if you, a kind of a neat thing, right, is that like your phone and everyone's phone is getting its time from, there is like a national NIST, which is National Institute of something standards and something or whatever. Uh, I think they'll like, they do like a radio tone at like, precisely midnight every night on a specific frequency set by the atomic clock there's some guy in a crystal like alone in a tower yeah but fortunately everybody's phone also can get very accurate timing from the same source so your phone is just as accurate as the atomic clock more or less yeah so like when daylight savings time happens mm -hmm. your phone will just do it but then like your microwave won't. Yeah. Well, your phone will do it, and then your phone will also be accurate to a millionth of a second immediately after it switches. So that's the last thing that we did not discuss is daylight saving time. Yeah. What's the deal? Just for, like, farmers and stuff. You know who invented it, who, like, thought of the idea? Was it World War Two when they did it, or was it World War One? It's, like, a guy that you, that you know. Eisenhower? No. Roosevelt? No, Ben. Little Ben. Ben Franklin? Yeah. Oh. Oh, he that was during like a Revolutionary War. Well, it wasn't even that. He just, you know, he lived in Paris a little bit and like. For like two decades. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. And he um, he was observing people and he was like these lazy French mother. Like he's like, they'd be sleeping. They'd be sleeping and they could be not sleeping. They could be making wine right now. And he was like, I'm going to change this. That's it. He was just like, there's still sunlight, and these guys are going to bed. And yeah, they, like, and then he and then he put out some pamphlets, of some scathing pamphlets, and he was like, but why? So he introduced the idea, and now we do it. And it's so it's daylight saving time. Oh yeah. A lot of people think it's daylight daylight savings time, but it's yeah. daylight saving time. Okay. Do you know? Do you know what it is? It's like spring forward, fall back. That's how you can remember. I always remember, like in the spring, like the time that we're going to, um, you get more tired, but it's like your payoff because it's like spring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then exactly. the fall, you get to sleep a little bit more, but it's because like the fall, it's like the price, it's the trade off. Do you know that it's consistent? I didn't know that. It's consistent. Like I always thought it jumped around. I thought it was like Easter, but it's actually like. It's yeah, I thought they recently extended it and made it longer. Now it's like February to like late no, September No, 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 no. It's always the second.
first or second Sunday in March, and then the I forget is it going to be the first? It's uh-huh. this. It's this Sunday. It sounds to me like it's jumping around. The first Sunday in March and the first Sunday in November. What I think is funny about it is they decided that the time would be least disruptive would be if if they do it at two a.m. on a Sunday morning, and they're like, surely nobody will be awake whereby this would affect like what they're doing <laughs> at the time every year at the same time actually 538.com publishes an article that like americans really like daylight savings time and we should do it year-round because it's too dark in the morning in the winter 538.com is that is 538 a we- <laughs> i'm like that's a that's a very suspicious title uh, for that uh well then i'll tell you about time dilation and relativity our Einstein episode. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we're about out of time for this one. Do you yeah. want to leave them with any uh, final words while oh, I load yeah, up our please track? Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify because you can do both. my picture fades and darkness turned to 